Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Let's get into the Word this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, we have our favorite chapters in the Word, but I don't know too many people that have pointed to Hebrews chapter 12 and said, you know, that's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. You know, most of us kind of skip over it, you know, because in the beginning, it's coming right out of the, the, the chapter on faith. You know, we call it the Hall of Faith, and it's talking about faith and what faith is and those who demonstrated faith and those who saw things come to pass as they waited on the Lord. Others, while they were still waiting on the Lord to do something, and it never came to pass in their lifetime, but in, by faith, they, were, they still remained faithful, understanding that it would come to pass because God had promised Okay, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it begins like this because in chapter 11, it's talking about all of these great people of faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And seeing then we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight or every hindrance that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For you have not yet resisted unto the shedding of blood, but Jesus did. And here's where it really gets interesting in that chapter in verse 5. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? And he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its its father? Well, today, I guess we could say we have. But not in the day that this was written. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit ourselves more, even more, to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing best as they knew how. My father knew how very well. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. How many of y'all really enjoy discipline? You know, you just love it. It's like, come on, beat me up some more. Lord, just just lay it on heavy. No, we don't usually do that. We're we're usually scrambling, you know. Like it says in James chapter 5, 14, it says, If there are any among you who are afflicted, let them pray. You know, a lot of times I've had people come up to me and they say, Pastor, would you pray for me? It just seems like everything's just going to hell in a handbasket in my life. And, you know, I can pray for you, but that's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says for you to pray. Because as you pray and you seek the wisdom of God, you you might just discover that God is doing something in your life that he is wanting you to pay attention to. Maybe you have been violating the principles of the scripture and God's trying to get your attention to correct course in your life and get you going in the right direction. Because if we don't listen... What happens to our kids if they don't listen? What happens to our children? We chastise them. Why? 
Junior, don't stick your hand in the fire. Fire pretty. Don't stick your hand in the fire. But fire pretty. And so we take Junior and we tell him again, lovingly, kindly, I told you, don't stick your hand in the fire. Why? How many of us are like that? Why? Because it will burn you. It will hurt you. Okay. A minute later, we see them heading toward the fire. So what do we do? We pull them aside. We discipline them. Hey, don't do that because it will hurt you. But what happens if they don't heed the discipline? They stick their hand in the fire. Third degree burns and lots of pain. Because they didn't listen, because they didn't heed the discipline that we tried to lay before them, to help them. It's not so that God can hurt us and God doesn't hate us. God loves us. But sometimes we feel like, well, the Lord just doesn't love me like he loves you. Well, I just told somebody this morning, and I stand by it, Jesus loves me more than he loves anybody. Because I get disciplined a lot too. It doesn't mean that God loves, doesn't love me. It means that he does. If we didn't love our children, we wouldn't discipline them. We'd just say, hey, let me step, help you stick your hand in the fire. Let's see what that feels like. Come on, stick it in there. But we don't do that because we love them. All right. Now, he says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Everybody say amen. amen. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Wow. I think the King James Version says that holiness without no man shall see the Lord. So look out for each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no immoral, godless person like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal, you know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected, even though he begged with bitter tears. And he goes on to say, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For though they heard an awesome trumpet blast and voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking, they staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, and that's us, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn. Well, you have come, to, you have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you not do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. 
for the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger. We will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Here it is. Again, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping, worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And verse 29 says what? For our God is a devouring fire. You know, he first he tells us not to, uh, to resist the discipline of the Lord. And sometimes things happen in our lives. And we find ourselves in a bind and we pray and we ask God what's happening. And when we stop and take inventory of our situation, we might just find that we are being disciplined by God himself. It's not the devil. It's God. God allows situations in our life in order to point us in the right direction. You know, if we're going down a hallway in the middle of the night and the lights go off and you bump into the wall, what do you do? You change course. You change course. You get on a straight course. You try to follow that course as easy as you can. You don't keep bumping into the wall. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? But in our lives, sometimes we do that very thing. Because we're not looking for the light. We're running from the light. We find ourselves in a corridor. We begin to bump, bump, bump into the wall. And we don't stop and figure out what's going on. It's kind of ridiculous. But when we do, wisdom says, stop and pray and seek the Lord and ask for wisdom. Who, and we ask from God who gives wisdom and he doesn't withhold that wisdom from us. He gives us what we need when we need it. And he helps us out of our situation because he loves us. I want you to get that through your head. God loves you. God loves you. He cares for you. And he disciplines us when we need it. You know, in our lives, there are also things that are shaken at times. You know, sometimes God has to shake things out of us. When I was a kid, my mom and dad had a big old pecan tree, and I used to climb that tree and shake it for my dad and mom to get the pecans out of it. That's about the only way we could get them out. Sometimes we'd pray for a good windstorm just to come along so we wouldn't have to climb that thing and shake out those pecans. But that's the only way we could get the fruit out of the tree was to go up and shake it. And again, you know, somebody's asleep on the bed a lot of times, and, and we want to wake them up. What do we do? We go up, we gently speak to them first. I always kind of open the door and say, honey, you awake? <laughs> Before I try to wake her up, you know. I don't just go and say, hey, Becky, get up! And I don't dare go over and shake her yet, because if I do, she might not be ready. She might be dreaming about fighting a monster or something, and I might just be it. <laughs> but if she doesn't respond, then I go over gently and shake her. Wake up. You know, sometimes we have shakings in our life in order for God to wake us up. We don't like to be shaken sometimes. You know, we, we prefer just to be able to rest on the laurels and kind of take it easy and not have to worry about anything. But sometimes we need a good old-fashioned shaking just to wake us up. I was out in my yard the other day. We had a good storm the other night. And I had just mowed the yard and everything else and had it looking real good. And the Lord blessed us with a good storm. But you know that storm wasn't bad because I had a lot of dead limbs and stuff up in my tree that ended up in my yard. But the only way they got there is because they were shaken out of the tree. There was a shaking. And, and God just began to show me in the spirit that this is what God is doing in the church. That there's a shaking that's beginning to take place. Now, I stood in horror on September 
the 11th, 2001. As I watched in real time a horrible event taking place in New York City. I watched it. And I, I it was it was almost beyond belief. I, I was like, is, is this really happening? How many of y'all experienced that? Someone called me. I was out in the yard mowing grass, and, and, and Becky was at work at the church, and she called me, and our secretary, the other secretary was there, and she had called. She said, you need to watch television. There's a plane that hit the Empire State Building. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking a little cub or something, you know, had flown into the Trade Center, World Trade Center, not the Empire. Thank you. It flew into the World Trade Center, and, and I'm like, well, it's just a little plane, you know. And so I go inside, and I turn on the TV, kind of half-concerned, but as I'm watching, I see that it's not just a small plane. This is giant aircraft carrier that's crashed into the World Trade Center. And one of the Twin Towers is on fire. And the reporters are on the ground, and they're, they're filming this thing, and they're showing the smoke coming out of it. And then all of, another, all of a sudden, another reporter says, Oh, my God. And they scan over to the other tower, and there's a plane in real time just plows right through it. And I'm like, did I just see that? Did I just see that? Well, the other day I happened to be on Facebook and I opened up Facebook and Charisma News, I get a, I get a post from Charisma News and they keep us up on stuff, but they were talking about David Wilkerson. They said, did the prophecies of David Wilkerson, have they come to pass and are they coming to pass? Well, I don't know if y'all know anything about David Wilkerson, but the David Wilkerson one's the guy that started Teen Challenge and there are Teen Challenge centers all over the world now. But David Wilkerson had written several books, and one of his books, the first one he wrote, was a, kind of a series of books, kind of a warning to the church and to anybody who would sit still long enough and read the book and listen. But my brother had given me a copy of the book, and I wasn't a Christian at the time. And thank God he gave me the book because it shook me. And the book was called The Vision. And in this vision, David Wilkerson was talking about things that were yet to come which had not manifested up to this point. The technology was just beginning to come onto the scene, and we really didn't know about this stuff, and it was written in about 1971 or 72, and he was talking about entertainment coming into the home via cable and pornography being viewed at night. He talked about that the... Uh, there would be a gas crunch that would happen in the next couple of years, which it did. He talked about the rise of violence and crime and those kind of things, which it has. He talked about the absence of the fathers in the homes and all of those kind of things which have taken place. He talked about all of these things. And, and in this book, it was just, uh, it, it, was, it was like you're, you're, you're reading end time news along with the Bible. And I read that book, and it shook me, and, and I didn't give my heart to Jesus right then, but that seed was planted in my heart, so within the next couple of years, I became a believer because every night I would lay down in my bed, the visions or the thoughts of the things that I read in that book would start swirling in my head. It shook me. Then on the tail end of that one, he wrote a book several years later after these things began to manifest, about 1978 or somewhere, he wrote a book called America Racing Toward Judgment. Racing Toward Judgment. And he was talking about the decline of spirituality in America. He was talking about 
the Bible and, and God being taken out of the schools, he was talking about all the things that were going about and how it was a setup for judgment on America. Do you realize that prior to 1963, after World War II up until 1963, that America was a lender nation? We never borrowed any money. We were the head and not the tail because we honored God. I remember as a child going into the schools and sitting down. The first thing we would do when we came into the school is that someone would stand up and they would read a prayer. Whether they prayed it or read it, it was a prayer. And most of the time, whoever was reading the prayer, a lot of times they would lay the prayer aside and they would just say a prayer. We would pray and then... Someone would get the flag, and we would set it before us, and we would pledge allegiance to the flag. And this is how we begin our day every day at school. We were allowed to carry our Bibles to school. Not only were we allowed to carry our Bibles to school, but when we reached the fourth grade, a group called the Gideons would come into the school. We would have an assembly, and they would give every child in the school a Bible that we could proudly carry back to our school, carry it in our book bag, stick it in our pocket, lay it on our desk, do whatever we wanted to with it because it was the Word of God and there was not a shame attached to the Word of God. But then in 1963, all of a sudden, a lie perpetrated itself into society and we had some very foolish judges who stood down, sat down, listened to the lie, and then they deemed it illegal against the law to mention the name of God in school or to pray in public schools. Therefore, the Bible would not be allowed into the public schools not to be read publicly. You could read it on your own at that time, but you could not read it publicly because it was deemed illegal. So the ACLU rose up about that time, and then they began to stress these things into the school, began to challenge these things in the school, and the ACLU has brought this damnable heresy into the public arena where we cannot read the Bible anymore, we cannot pray in school, we can't mention the name of God in school because they want to teach the ideology of the world and the world system. But there is a shaking going on. The shaking is not going to happen in in the circle of government. The shaking is going to happen in the church because the Bible tells us that judgment begins in the house of God. The judgment begins, that's where the shaking really begins is in the house of God. What has happened in the house of God? What has happened in the house of prayer? What has happened is that the Bible has lost its relevance in most places in religious institutions. It's just another book. It's a book written by men, for men, to make us good, to make us, you know, it's it's good rules for society. But most churches today, sadly, in the United States of America, most churches do not Look at the Bible, consider it to be the authoritative word of God. It's just another book. And because there have been damnable heresies that have crept into the church, such as, well, I know that to say this to some people today, it would be considered hateful. It would be considered wrong, 
But homosexuality, which is an abomination in the eyes of God, has not only been allowed into the church, it has been hailed. And now leaders are being appointed in churches who are leading congregations as homosexual pastors who are performing homosexual weddings, who are doing things which are an outright violation of the Word of God. And it doesn't matter what the Word of God says in those circles because, after all, the Word of God is not the authoritative Word of God himself, it is only words that are written by men that we have appointed as coming from God. But what do we see that being? Paul says it like this. Paul said in in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. That, my friend, is what the Bible says. And anyone that would say anything contrary to the Word of God must be considered a hypocrite and a liar because the Word of God is firmly established and is true and not one word that God has spoken will ever fail. Not one word. The words of man, the teachings of man will certainly fall because they will be shaken at their core. There's a shaking taking on, taking place in the house of God. And those things that can be shaken will be shaken. And the things that cannot be shaken, those are the things that will remain. What cannot be shaken? What cannot be shaken is the absolute truth of God's word. His word is firmly established in the heavens. It cannot, it cannot fail. All that we say, all that we do that is contrary to the word of God will certainly fail. It will be shaken. It will fail the test. And when we stand before God Almighty, what's really going to matter is not what Dr. So-and-so said. It's not what Pastor Joe Blow said. It's not what so-and-other, it's, or society says, or this person, or this psychiatrist, or this doctor. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God's Word says. I beg you, if I ever, ever stop preaching the Word of God, leave. Go somewhere where you can hear the truth. Don't listen to a lie. Listen to the truth of God's Word. Because the truth, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be given unto you. Because, he said, if you believe in my word, you shall be free. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you want to be bound, listen to the lie of the enemy. Because it's nothing but bondage. If you want to be free, listen to what God's word says. Because the truth will always set you free. Now, sometimes we don't want to hear the truth, do we? Especially if we're living in a way that is contrary to the Word of God and someone comes up to us and they begin to speak truth to us. 
Sometimes we don't want to hear it because we would rather believe the lie that we're involved in, especially if it's something that we have desired in our flesh and have fallen into. We don't want to hear it. So in order to avoid hearing it, we will go somewhere where we don't have to hear it so that we can cater to our flesh and those kind of things. But I want to tell you that, that those kind of things are going to pass away. I'm going, to, I'm going to move on here, okay? The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 26, 27, once again, I will shake not only the earth but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only the unshakable things will remain. What are the things in our life that are important? Have you taken inventory lately? Have you taken inventory of your life and see how you spend your time? What are things that we have in our, li- in, our ti- in our lives that can be shaken, that really have no merit or value in our lives? Jesus said this in Matthew 5, or Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. But a lot of times we're so busy seeking after things that we fail to seek after the kingdom. Because things have become more important to us than the kingdom of God. Those things can be shaken. Cars, houses, land, all of those things, they don't have a lot of value. Oh, they do here on the earth. I mean, we spend money, money, money trying to get those things. But once we get them, what have we really got? Got no joy. Got no joy. Because we become servants to the things that we give ourselves to. We become servants to our houses. You know, I find that the more I've got, the more I have to take care of. My wife and I were talking about it the other day. You know, when we lived in a little one-bedroom house, one closet, and we can stand in one corner of the house and see each other on the opposite side, (laughs) in the other corner. But we were happy. We had everything we needed, didn't we, honey? But we felt like we needed this and we needed that. So, you know, we go out and we didn't have any mortgage or anything. So we bought a house and got a mortgage. And then we discovered that the house wasn't big enough, so we wanted to get a bigger one. We got a bigger house and a bigger mortgage. <laughs> and along with that bigger house and bigger mortgage is, is a lot more upkeep. Things wear out, whether we like it or not. You know, I, I got, I was so, I was reminded of this the other day. I was standing in my kitchen, and this is crazy. But when we first moved into our house where we live, we didn't have any squirrels. I would see a squirrel, I would think, oh, how cute, a squirrel. Now I look at those things, I say, you little demon. <laughs> we had an empty bird feeder. And I thought, Oh, it'd be nice to see some birds. So I go get some bird seed and I feed that, I fill that bird's feeder up. And the next thing you know, guess what I got? Squirrels. <laughs> and my wife and I tried to keep those squirrels out of the bird feeder. We did everything we possibly could. I've got an, an iron pole up to the bird feeder. And I'm out there one day and I see the squirrels climbing up. I just loaded that thing up that morning and by 10 o'clock it was empty. Squirrels climb up there and there's, oh, I don't see any, I don't see any sunflower seeds. Oh, there's one. 
there's another one. And they're just raking this seed out on the ground, you know. And so I thought, you little demon. So I go in and I get some WD-40. And I spray it on the pole. I mean, I just spray it real good. And watch those squirrels. They'd run up to the pole and they would jump up on the pole and they'd just slide down. But the WD-40 would evaporate real quick. And the next thing you know, they'd just shimmy right back up there. Yeah. So then I went and got some lithium grease. That's about the slickest stuff that you could imagine. So I took that lithium grease and I just painted that pole white with lithium grease. Squirrels would run up there and they'd jump up on that pole. And it was so funny. We'd stand there and watch them. And they would kind of go around the pole like, just around And they're looking like, it was hilarious to watch these crazy squirrels. And I kicked that thing with the, up with grease, and they couldn't get up to the thing. And I'm thinking, well, I got it licked. And one of them gets down on the ground, and I am not kidding you. She saw it. God is my witness. That squirrel sits down there, and he looks up at the pole, and he goes, and it's almost like he scratches his head. He, he looks over under a tree, looks back at the pole, and there was sandy soil under the tree. And I'm not kidding you. That squirrel goes over there and pats his feet in that sandy soil comes back over and shimmies right up that pole. So we had this ongoing battle between me and the squirrels, you know? And so finally, I got some of those things that you put under the the bird feeder, and they can only go so far. That's, That's kept them out of the bird feeder. Now they're trying to get in my house. The other morning, I get up, and I'm standing. I hear something hit the door, and I look, and there's a squirrel. And I've got, like, these French doors, and he's hanging on the door, <laughs> looking at me. And I go, and I shoo him off. And a few minutes later, I hear something going crunch, 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 crunch. And I'm thinking, what in the world? We got big rats or what? I go over and look, and the guy is outside my door, chewing on the facing of the door. Thinking, oh my God, we're being inundated with squirrels. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> but I was talking about the things that we have that we take, try to take care of. You know, Jesus said that, you know, we, <laughs> we try to lay up treasures on earth, and what happens? Squirrels come in and eat it. <laughs> Malls and rusts. He said, so we got to lay up treasure in heaven where those boogers can't get to it. Because I, I know squirrels are possessed. They are. Yeah. You know, you see those cute little squirrels, there's a demon inside of them. Don't let them get close to you. <laughs> well, there are things in our life that can be shaken. Things that will deteriorate. But there are things that will not, that will stand the test of time. They will stand the fire. And God is shaking us. God is shaking us. And there is a shaking that's beginning to take place in the church. There will be those churches that will deny the power of God, but the Bible tells us very clearly to stay away from them, from such shy away from But there's going to be a seeking after the truth because of the things in our life that we see that are valuable are going to be taken away. 
You know, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Jonathan Kahn and or Jonathan Jonathan Hahn, and he's a he's a Jewish rabbi. He has a, he's written several books called The Harbinger and what's the other one? Um, the um, Shemitah. That's it. The Shemitah. And he, he's talking about the judgments of God that take place in those seven-year increments. And if you have noticed since 9-11 and even before 9-11, even World War I, World War II, if you look, the events that took place, the catastrophic, catastrophic events that took place, took place in America when we did not observe what God had told us to observe pertaining to the day of rest in the year of Jubilee. And he said this year is going to be particularly rough. Beginning in September this year, they are even the the uh, economic forecasters are forecasting an e- economic plunge that will make 2008 look tame, look easy, which was one of the greatest crashes in the stock market in our history that took place in that seven-year cycle. There's a shaking that's taking place in the church because God has to bring purity to the church. There's a discipline that's taking place in the church because God has to, has to get into the hearts and the lives of his people. There's a discipline that's taking place among the people of God when we have violated the principles of God, when we walked in our own way, we've chosen to do our own thing, and God says, I tried to get your attention through speaking to you truth, but if you avoid the truth, if you ignore the truth, then there has to be a shaking that would take place in your life. I personally personally have gone through some shaking in my own experience. And I understand that God loves me and God cares for me. That's the reason why I have had to go through that shaking in my life in order for God to get some things out of me so that I could become pliable and usable in his hands. You know, God took Jeremiah in a vision and he took him to a place. He said, I want you to go down and I want you to observe the potter. So he goes down to the potter's house and he observes the potter and the potter has, he's got some, some uh, uh, clay on a on a wheel and he begins to work the clay and as he begins to work the clay there's something that happens to the clay and it gets hard so he just takes the clay and he breaks it on the ground and that becomes what we call a pot's herd which is just fragments of of broken pottery and you know so he gets another clump and he starts to work it and if there's an impurity in that clump of clay you know what happens to the clump of clay you have to beat it down, take the impurity out so that you can begin to mold it up again. Have to keep working it. And God is working in our lives in the same way. And God was saying to Jeremiah, this is what I am trying to do to my to the nation of Judah, to my people. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to work them. But they've become hard and stiff-necked. They've become resistant to his hand. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3, and we know this very well. I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, when we think of our bodies being presented as a living sacrifice, just consider yourself being put on the potter's wheel. And the potter begins to work, and he's working from the inside and out, because you can't just work from the outside. You have to work from the inside, but you also have to apply pressure from the outside in order to get the pot into what you want want it to be. So we have pressure from the outside. We have pressure from the inside that is working. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have trouble. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. What is trouble and tribulation? It is stress. It is the things in our life that, that bring pressure into our lives. And sometimes it's inward and sometimes it's outward. You know, our emotions. And then 
things that we really can't control at all happen in our life. Y'all just say this with me. Stuff happens. It does. It does. I've been writing a book now for about 10 years. I've got about five chapters of it written. And my title is this, Under the Dung. Under the Dung. Out of Luke chapter 13 is a story of a, of, of a man who was, you know, an owner of a vineyard, had a, had, a, had a fig tree in the middle of his vineyard, and it had not yielded fruit for several years. So he comes up to the, to the, to the tender of his, of his vineyard, and he says to him, or, or of his fig trees, and he says, cut it down. And he said, not so, Lord. Let me, let me apply some dung to it for another year. Let me fertilize it for another year. And then if it hasn't produced, then we can cut it down. So things happen in our lives sometimes can be like fertile, fertile stuff that is flung at us. Sometimes we throw it at the pan and it comes right back in our face, you know what I'm saying. But sometimes stuff happens. It happens. And it might be stinking rotten stuff that happens to us. You know? And sometimes we just sit down and say, you know, life stinks. I just feel like I have been shot at and missed and flung at and hit, if you know what I mean. And we just, we just don't know how to deal with it sometimes. But there's a verse of Scripture, and I read this the other day in the New American Standard Bible. In the King James Version, in Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, stop striving and know that I am God. In other words, yield to the hand of the potter and understand that the pressure that is happening in your life, that the shaking that's going on in you is not necessarily from the devil. It could be from God himself because God is trying to do something inside of you to make your life better, to make you more pliable, to make you more like him, to make you more presentable for him so that he can show his glory in your life. God wants to get glory out of us. And the only way that he can be glorified in us, as it says in Colossians 1.27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus being seen in us. And the more we empty stuff out, the more he can come in. But the more that we keep stuff in, the less he can get entry into our lives. And though he's knocking at the door, though it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you will open the door... I will come in, and I will have fellowship with you, and you can have fellowship with me. But we've got to open that door because God will not force himself inside. We have to be willing to yield ourselves to him. And we have to yield to the pressure in order that God can mold and shape us into what he wants us to be. That vessel of righteousness that is useful and fruitful in the kingdom of God. But if we resist it, we will never be what God wants us to be. We will only be what we want to be. And what we want to be will never allow us to reach our destiny in God because God has a God-given destiny for us that he wants us to achieve, and his destiny is always greater. I, I love the story of George Washington Carver who asked God, and he prayed diligently, and he said to God, he says, show me the secrets of the universe. And God says, George, I can't do it. You can't handle it. 
But I will reveal to you the secrets of the peanut. And God began to reveal to him the secrets, the biological breakdown of the peanut. And he saw that there were many, many uses for the peanut. Peanut butter was discovered by George Washington Carver. We can thank him for our peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, I don't know who started the jelly thing, but we can thank George for the peanut butter. (laughs) And plastic. Did you know that the shell of the peanut is where plastic is made? He developed so many things. God showed him so many things about the peanut that not only did it make him famous, made him rich. George Washington Carver helped start a little small college down in Alabama, which has become Auburn University. I love it. I love it when God takes something simple in our lives and he says, here. My wife and I have been praying. We're saying, Lord, would you show us something simple that people need that they will buy? That we can just come up with? I mean... You would think that everything that could be invented has already been invented. And people have said that to their own demise many times. But every day there's something being invented that people will use. And we're just saying, Lord, show us. You know? Uh, I think the little thing that does eyeglasses have already been done. You know, windshield wiper. (laughs) There are other things, you know, I've looked at. I remember one time sitting down years ago and thinking... You know, they got watches. The little small watches that they make that look like a TV screen. Why couldn't they take that same technology and make a television out of it where you could just put it on your wall and you wouldn't have this monstrosity sitting in the middle of the floor? Wow, I didn't know somebody else was already thinking about the same thing. Because I got one now. But you see, things, God puts these thoughts in our mind and in our heads if we will wait on him. Stop striving and know that I am God. Just wait on the Lord. Ask God to reveal things to you. God wants to do more for you than you can ever even imagine if we will just trust him. But when we strive, we put ourselves in the driver's seat. We try to do it ourselves. God says, hey, Back off. I got this. Let me be God. You just be you. You just be you. Stop striving. And that's why he tells us, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and doesn't withhold and upbraideth not. He will give you what you need when you need it, if you will trust him. But things will be shaken in our life. Some things need to be shaken. And that which can be shaken will be shaken. But what cannot be shaken is what belongs to that unshakable kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. If you put those things first, everything else that you have need of, that you strive for, you'll find. And here's the thing. 
He says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. If you will just take the time to do those three things, if you will just take the time to ask God, to just seek Him first, and just knock. You know, sometimes we knock and we don't get the answer the first time, so we just quit knocking. The Bible says in the Amplified Bible, knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Just keep going hard after God, and you'll get what you need. And those things will not be shaken. They cannot be because they're of God. And that's what God wants for our lives. Amen? I thank God for these little simple things that he shows me sometimes, such as a tree limb falling on my head in the middle of the storm. Or a squirrel chewing on the door. <laughs> and God can speak to us any way he wants to, but the best way for God to speak to us sometimes is for us just to be still. Just get quiet and wait on the Lord before we do anything. You know, David says that I will seek him early. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Psalm 42, 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. It thirsts for you. If you get hungry and thirsty after God, the more you drink, the more thirsty you get. I remember when I started having to drink a gallon and a half of water a day, that first bottle of water was horrible. Because I wasn't used to drinking that much water. I drink sodas and things like that. But once I started drinking water, my body began to require it. And the more I drank of it, the more my body required it. So after a while, drinking a gallon and a half of water in a day wasn't that big of a deal. It was eliminating that was a problem. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, it's got to go somewhere. But you know what I'm saying. The more you seek after God, the more you're going to see things happening in your life. You're going to see good things happening, and you're going to see some things happening that you didn't ever think would ever happen. Because there's some things in our life that have to be dealt with. That's where the discipline part comes in. That's where the shaking part comes in. But it's all necessary. And it's all because God loves us. Amen. Amen. Would you just say this with me? God, I thank you that I'm your favorite child. And I know that because I'm your favorite child, you want the very best for me. And sometimes what's best for me is not what I want, but what I need. And Lord, I submit to your hand of discipline. I submit to your will and your will alone because you are the potter 
and I am the clay. Your hands will fashion me into what I need to be. A vessel of glory. A vessel of honor. That can be filled and poured out for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your promises, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now just give God some praise. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 48, verse 1, he says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situations. The glory of the whole earth. And it says that, that she shall be established and set by the rivers of living waters. And she shall not be moved. And God is telling us today that he wants us to be situated in a place. Where we can thirst after him and be filled. As the deer pants for the water brook. So my soul longs after you. God wants to meet us in our place where we position ourselves before him. And we hunger and we thirst after his righteousness. And that's the place where we shall be filled. If we're already full of the things of this world, things of this life, that are meaningless, that are just fillers, as it were, we will never be satisfied. But we will be satisfied when we are filled to the fullest of the presence of Him. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.